Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you with us again. If you missed the welcome, my name is Matt Brown. I'm the lead pastor. Um, I just want to talk for a second about this weird love-hate relationship I have with technology. Now, I kind of hate technology because these things, our phones, keep us so connected. But I love it, especially in times like right now, because it's keeping me so connected. And I get it connected with you guys and the people in my life, our small group, and all those incredible people. So I, I love that. Now, well, you know what's interesting to me about this is I use my phone, I use my computer every day, but I really don't know how it works. I use it and I enjoy it. It helps me, but I don't know how all that information streams to this little device and it passes it on to me, but I just wake up and I use it anyway. And I was thinking about this as we jump into our series or back into our series is that's a little bit the way it is with God. We don't understand everything about him, but it doesn't mean we can't be a part of his life and have a relationship with him and follow him. Now, I think for some of us, it would help us to understand God more if we could just do that thing that most of us do where we say, God, if you would just do something miraculous or spectacular, then we would believe and it'd be easier to believe. But I wonder if God, in response to that request, is, hey, so like, what would you want me to do? Like, what would you want me to do that would help you believe? Like, if I had a rock and created a rock that was, you know, flying through space at thousands of miles an hour, and the rock was just the right size and had just the right temperature and had water and food to sustain human life for like billions of people, would you believe then? God might say, listen, if I put in the front part of your face two cameras that were about 576 megapixels so you could see the world clearly, then would you believe? Or if I gave you the equivalents of a 3,000 gigabyte computer, that made you so smart and so intelligent that your body could actually function and do what it needed to do with your mind not even having to tell it. Your body would just do what it was supposed to do on its own. For instance, in the last 10 or 15 seconds that I've been talking, your body has killed off about 50,000 cells and replaced them with brand new cells so your body keeps moving on in the right direction. And I wonder if God ever says, hey, is that enough for you to believe? And we are sometimes like, I know I am. No, 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 God. What, what I mean is something like truly spectacular, like a miraculous healing, to which God might say, okay, you know that brain I gave you that's like a 3,000 gigawatt computer? What if it was able to heal itself and repair itself? What if I gave you such intelligence that you could have science that would help doctors heal people, even in the midst of epidemics and pandemics? And here's a thought along those lines. Do you know if somebody from 2,000 years ago walked into one of our hospitals and watched our doctors do what they do, they would think those doctors are gods because 2,000 years ago, doctors could hardly do anything because they didn't know anything. What we have now because of what God has given us through our science and our brains is pretty much amazing. Have you ever thought about that? Well, my friends, we're in part five of our series, Bystander. And the whole idea of this is John and the rabbi from Nazareth. And this idea of we're following Jesus through the eyes of John, which was his closest follower, or one of his closest followers. Now, I have to say this, let's step out of the series for just a minute. Because of what we're going through, because of this pandemic that we're all trying to figure out, I thought about stepping out of the series and talking about anxiety or fear or trust. And we may do that in our next series, but I decided I didn't know a better thing for us to talk about than the Savior of the world, Jesus, and who we can put our faith and trust in than Jesus. In fact, for me, through this time, the closer I'm holding on to Jesus, 
the better shape I'm in. And that's true if you're a follower of Jesus, if you'd say I'm a Christian, or if you're not even sure about this, we want to invite you to follow Jesus as we follow John, who documented Jesus' life. Now, today, we're talking about the fifth sign because when John wrote all the things that he had um, about Jesus, he talked in terms of signs. Um, And the fifth sign in your English Bible on the heading is the healing of a blind man. Now, if you've been following along and tracking along, um, John tells us that Jesus turned water into wine, that he healed a royal man's son, that he did some other amazing things. And we come to this sign, and we find Jesus. He's back in Jerusalem. He's been in the northern part of Israel. Now he's back in Jerusalem. And every time Jesus is in Jerusalem, he gets himself in trouble because he challenges the religious leaders. And that always stirred up trouble with Rome, and that would get everybody in trouble. But Jesus was trying to set the path in the right direction when it came to God. And so John, as an old man, who probably can't see too well, and he probably can't write this himself, he dictates to someone probably younger than him. He says this, as we, or as he, went along talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And apparently his followers pointed to this man, and then we're told his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 2,000 years ago, and sometimes we believe this too, but 2,000 years ago, they always thought there was a cause and effect between a physical ailment, an emotional ailment, a spiritual ailment, and what a person had done. And if you had sinned, God might make you blind. If you'd done something you shouldn't have get done and broke the law, that God might make you lame or crippled or poor or a beggar. They actually believed that if a woman was pregnant and she walked into a pagan temple, Yet God would curse her child, and when he was born or she was born, there would be some kind of challenge with their physical being. There's so much superstition, so much weirdness, and I would say that was all 2,000 years ago, but maybe you've experienced some of that same weirdness with the Christian culture. Now, this is what we do know, that certain behaviors have a result and a cause effect. Like, there are certain things that I do, if I do as a husband, it's going to mess up my marriage. If there's certain things that I do to my body, it's going to hurt me. There's certain things if I do, you know, at my job, it's going to mess my job up. It's a cause and effect in that way. But this is what we know. Those things are almost always obvious. And when it's not obvious, it's usually not because of something we've done. And it's certainly because not, God's not angry at us or he's trying just to punish us. But they ask the question, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus just takes them in a whole different direction. And he says, neither Neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's a whole new paradigm, Jesus said. And then he goes on. He said, but this happened so. And Jesus is about to introduce this idea that there is pain and there's purpose, and they can sometimes go together. When we go through struggles, God can use our struggle and have a purpose to them. And have you thought about this, that maybe there's a purpose even in what's going on in our world? So Jesus goes on, he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And here's the thing, as a pastor, I have seen this over and over again, and I'll bet you have too, where someone is going through something difficult, and you're like, I cannot believe they're facing this, but I can't believe they have such great faith. And we see this in people that do not have wrinkle-free lives, or their kids are just perfect, or their kids got all the scholarships, or they just have lots of money, everything's perfect. We see this in people that face sickness, 
and job loss and stuff in our culture that's so difficult. I, I got a friend that goes to our church and he is facing incredible cancer challenge in his life. And every time I run into him, he just inspires me the way he loves God and loves his wife. And it is difficult. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm doing something. And you may not see it and you may not know it, but I'm doing something. And someday you will. Jesus goes on. He says, as long as, the day, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And I don't even understand this first, and I bet his followers didn't either. They're probably like, Jesus, why do you keep going off on tangents and different subjects? And Jesus clarifies. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And all Jesus is saying is, God's light will never burn brighter than what it is right now. Because I'm here, and I'm in the middle of you. And if you ever get confused of who God is, I want you to reference back to this point. John, write this down. John, make sure you got this down, because you're going to need to remember this, that it was me that is the light of the world. And this is where the story gets a little bit strange, and I'm sure John smiled when he wrote this down. That after saying this, he spit on the ground, which is a little weird, and then he made some mud with the saliva, which is really gross, and put it on the man's eyes. And I don't really have a lot of detail to go along with this. I mean, I don't know how this went down. If Jesus kind of snuck up and just smacked it on his face, or Peter and John held him down and Jesus shoved it in his eyes, but somehow he took dirt, spit, mud, and put it on this man's eyes. And then he said, go. He told him, like, go away. And wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I think this guy had to be relieved. Yeah, I'm glad to wash my face because this is still pretty gross, Jesus. But what this man does is something that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. He walks away by faith because he literally did not have sight. And he decides to trust Jesus, even though he'd never seen Jesus, been around Jesus. He just decides, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. He chooses to trust someone he could not see based on rumors. And that's kind of the Christian faith, my friends. I mean, for most of us, we've decided to trust God even though it's hard to see him some days. And we've decided to trust Jesus based on what other people have told us in history and documentation. That is where a lot of our faith has come from. And then God stirs it up and does something in us. The story goes on. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing and there's a miraculous thing. There's a miracle. But more than a miracle, there is a sign. And I'm telling you, sometimes you just need a miracle. You just need something spectacular to happen in your life. And that's what this man needed. In our culture, in our world right now, I think a lot of us are going, Jesus, a month ago, I didn't even think about miracles, but now we really need one for you to see us through this. And maybe the biggest miracle for all of us would be to connect to our Heavenly Father through the challenges that we're facing and in a way we never imagined. But this guy could see. John says his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Because he sat there for days and weeks and months and years on end. He's always in the same spot begging. Some claimed that he was, but others said... No, he only looks like him. He himself insisted, I am this man. So now this man is in argument about his own identity. Like, hey, I know I don't have my walking stick and my seeing eye dog, and I'm standing straight up and I'm looking you in the eye, but it's me. 
And they asked the question they should have asked. How then were your eyes opened? They ask. The man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. I love the fact that he left out the detail of how he made the mud. Because that's just too gross to repeat. No one wants to hear that. So he leaves that part out. He told me to go to Salome and wash. And so I went and I washed. And then I could see. They ask, where, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. I didn't see which way he went, you stupid religious people. How am I supposed to know who he was? I was blind. I didn't see the way he went. Sherlock. I mean, I would love to finish that phrase. But it's like, come on, guys. How am I supposed to know all this stuff? All I know is something has changed. So I added that last part. We'll take that out. We'll just go back to, I don't know, he said. So they did what they were supposed to do. They brought... They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And part of their rules and regulations was when someone was healed and kind of brought back in the community, because when you had an ailment, you were kind of pushed to the side, which is not the best way to practice life and certainly not faith. But when you were healed and were brought back in the community, you had to come before the religious leaders. And then they would decide if you'd really been healed, if it was a legitimate you know, miracle or sign. And so now they're brought back in front of the Pharisees. And this is where the story gets heavy. Because it says, Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And this is where the soundtrack changes. And this is where it gets really heavy. Because Jesus had done a few things that they thought was wrong. One, you're not allowed to make mud. They actually, on the Sabbath, they actually had a law. But it wasn't the written law, it was this made-up law of the Pharisees. That you said you can't knead, like knead bread, like mixed bread. You can't knead anything. And Jesus took spit and a little bit of dirt and he mixed it together and he made mud. You can't do that on the Sabbath. This is one of their stupid religious rules. And you're not allowed to heal or practice medicine on the Sabbath unless it's life-threatening. And so Jesus, this love and grace and mercy you showed on this guy... Is like a sin because it was done on the wrong day. And, you know, Jesus is not going to put up with this. But it goes on. Therefore, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he put mud on my eyes. Can't do that. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. So now the man's in trouble because he washed. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath either. Everybody's in trouble because of these silly religious rules. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. To which I think Jesus is trying to point out, I don't keep your Sabbath. Because you got a box, and you decide to sneak God in your convenient little two-by-four box where you keep him nice and tidy, and you can manipulate him to get people to do what you want him to do and probably make money off him. So you're not even talking about the same thing that Jesus is talking about, I think he would say to the Pharisees. But here's the rub. Others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? And I love the fact that John didn't say miracles. He said signs. These point to someone. And they point to who Jesus is. So they were divided. They turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man's like, um, okay, he's a prophet? I don't know. He, I, I didn't even see him. We're told by John they still didn't 
believed that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for this man's parents. So now we're going to ask his parents. And they approach his parents, but his parents are nervous because if they're approached about something on the Sabbath, something's gone wrong and they might be in trouble and may lose their place in society. So they say to these parents, is this your son? They ask. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And his parents, they they kind of punt in this situation. Because we're told that we know he's our son. His mama probably smiled and said, he's got this cute little birthmark in his hindsight. Show him, Johnny, show him. You know how your mama does that sometimes? Show him, show him, show him. He's so embarrassed. The parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. We were there the day he was brought into this world. But how he came to see now... Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. I mean, they're not getting in the middle of this because they know how much trouble they can get in. Ask him. He's of age and he will speak for himself. In other words, he's old enough to tell you his own story. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided. Now just time out because I want to go back to this just for a second. Anytime you're around religious people, and they make you afraid, you might be around the wrong religious people. Anytime you're around religious people and they feel like, make you feel like you're condemned or you don't have a shot with God, you might want to think about the religious people you're hanging around. They'd already decided. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They would be ostracized. They would be excommunicated. But here's the interesting thing. The religious leaders of the day, they were the one that was blind. The blind man found his sight, but the people that should have known that God was on the move and doing something spectacular in the world, they were blind to the whole thing. Francis Collins, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, talked about willing blindness or willful blindness. It's that point where something's happening in any area of life. But here it's the area of God and faith. And you just decide, I'm not going to look in that direction. So this is what happens. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. They said, give glory to God by telling the truth. In other words, unless you agree with us, it is not true. It's not up for discussion. We're not going to talk about it. You can't ask any questions. Either you agree with us or it is a wrong thing. We know that this man is a sinner. I love this. He replied, the man that had been born blind, whether he is a sinner or not, listen, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know how to make sense of it. I just don't know. And this is a place that we all live in our lives. You see, what I know about me and what I know about you is you want to understand everything before you can believe anything. And some of us fall into this trap. i got to understand everything. i got questions. i got doubts. I'm not sure about God. I'm not sure about Jesus. Sometimes I read the scripture and it doesn't make sense. And so I can't believe any of us. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe in love? Most of us would say, yeah, we believe in love. Can you explain love? I can't. It doesn't make, I, I don't know how I could love my kids as much as I do. I can't explain it. I don't know how I could fall in love with a woman and just say for the rest of my life, but I did and I will and I do. I believe in energy, but I can't explain energy. I believe I have a consciousness and I'm self-aware, but I can't explain how that works and how that came to be. 
And here's the thing. I can believe in those things. Love, energy, my own consciousness. But I don't have to understand it all to believe in it. I don't understand my technology. But I believe it's there and it works. And for some of you, this is good news. Because you're trying to figure out if you want to believe, but you would say, but I don't understand it all. You don't have to understand it all. It's just simply taking a step. And for some of you, I mean, you left faith and you moved away from it. And you're thinking, I would love to come back because I miss it. I miss the songs and I miss the community and, and I miss the fellowship and I miss being able to talk to my heavenly father like maybe I once did. And I miss it, but you know, I got this box and this box is how I view God. And because God's like this and the way I see him, I, I don't even want to approach God. But what if you don't understand all of who God is and you missed Part of it. The good news is you don't have to understand all of it to come back to it. Love what this man says. Because he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I do know, and this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, in all the New Testament. I, I love this so much. One, one thing, I don't, I don't know all the stuff, but one thing I know for sure. I was blind. And now I see. Yeah, but what about, what about, what about, I, I don't know. I know, you, I know you want to know, and I want to know someday, but I don't know. All I'm telling you, I was blind. Now I know what blue looks like. Now I know what my mama's hair color is. Now I know what, you know, the leaves of the field look like. And this is the story for millions of Christians all over the world. Because many of us, we came to the end of ourselves. Whether we were, you know, just worn out or we were lonely or we had an addiction or we just couldn't cope or we just needed help. We looked up and said, God, are you there? And God showed up somehow in our lives. And we couldn't explain it. But for so many of us, we would say, I experienced this thing called grace where God loved me in spite of myself. When I realized that Jesus died for my sin and I could be completely forgiven, whew, my life changed. What, can you explain that? I mean, some of it I can. Some of it I can't. I can't tell you how I changed from the inside out. All I can tell you is something happened amazing in my life. All I know is I was blind. And now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why? And I love this. Do you want to hear it again? And now he starts to pick a fight with his religious leaders because he's had enough. And he asks a question that's going to get him in trouble. Do you? He's talking to religious leaders. Do you want to become his disciple too? Is that what you're asking? It's a little bit cheeky. It's a little bit insulting. I kind of like it. Then John tells us, because he was there. They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. You know what our box is? Moses followers. Moses followers. That's our box. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered because he had a response. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. In other words, you're supposed to be religious leaders and you're missing God in front of you. If this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And now they've had enough. These religious leaders are so threatened. Their box is falling apart. 
says this, to this they replied, the religious leaders, you are steeped in sin at birth. You sinned, your mama sinned, your daddy sinned, your grandmama sinned, and that's why you've been blind. You have discounted anything you have to say to us. How dare you lecture us, sinner. And they threw him out. And they decided, you're not going to mess up our box where we keep our God nice and tidy. And this is a classic case of this idea, this thing called willful blindness. This idea where I'm just going to choose to keep things the way I understand them. And I'm going to choose to refuse to look in any other direction than what I've already decided. This is how I'm going to see the world. This is how I'm going to see God. This is how I'm going to see my faith. And willful blindness is just this idea of refusing to see what can be seen. And we all have a propensity to do this. I know I certainly can. And where this takes us is we follow and we worship or we lean into or we decide not to lean into the God of the box. The God that's in the box. And here's the challenge for us as religious people, as people of faith. We miss God in these moments. I mean, we miss this big, beautiful, wonderful God because we got it all figured out and we got all the answers, but God is doing things all around us. And you don't want to miss God. Now, this is the deal. If you're not a Christian or you used to be a Christian, have you decided to look? (laughs) And God's not mad at you for not looking. He just wants you to look in his direction. If you decided, I don't believe or I don't have faith, have you decided to investigate, to search it out? Or have you been a little too afraid to? And what if Jesus is exactly who he said he was? And there's this weird thing when it comes to people that don't believe. And I totally respect the fact that some people watching don't believe. But there's this thing that when you have just decided, I know who God is and I figured that all out. What if there's things you don't know? Maybe we'd say it this way. Perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. And maybe even more important is perhaps God is bigger than you were taught he was. Because our worldview when it comes to God obviously comes from the scriptures and the stories we've been told, but it also comes from the people we were raised with. And I'm so thankful for what I was taught growing up, but I realized the people that I knew growing up, they didn't know all about God. And I'm still learning about God. And as I lean in and I look, you know, this is for people that believe and people that don't. You just need to know this. It, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay not to get it all right. As long as we're looking, it really is. It, it's okay. It's okay not to know everything. But the challenge is it is not okay not to look if there's something to be seen. And what if the God of the universe is like, hey, Guys, I'm here. I came for you. I love you. I'm giving my life to you. But you got me crammed in this little box. Here's the challenge for us as Christians. When we think we have God so figured out, we ignore the things God is doing in the world. Like Christians have been against science way too much over the decades and the years. I mean, God has done some amazing things in the world of science. Like, oh, I can't look that way because if I look that way, it's going to mess up everything I know about God. And yet God is doing amazing things in the world of science. Have you thought about it this way, that we think we understand God so well that we've decided there's some people that God does not love? And this breaks my heart. 
hey, you know, because God's against him or her for what they believe or what they do or where they come from, then I've got to be against him or her. And we hold certain people at an arm's length, like, no, 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 you're not good enough, you're not acceptable enough, and God surely couldn't love you the way he loves me. And then we get together and we sing worship songs about God's mercy and his love that he gave to us. Yet we're not willing to give those to other people. And I'm telling you, Christians, because what we believe about God should never hold people at arm's length. Our heart towards people who God created should be we love them with all of our heart. And I think we're at a stage in our life and in our culture and what's happening in our country right now that we can love in extraordinary ways. And if we choose to do this, I think we'll look back at this time as a time when the church rose up and we followed Jesus like never before. But if we don't, We'll just be like the Pharisees. And so if you're ever tempted to think, I got it so figured out that you're not part of the crew, or you're not allowed, or you're not loved, I think we need to rethink that. We should be the most compassionate, kind, helpful, I'll give you my toilet paper and a bag of groceries kind of people in the entire world plan. I think we should be the people that are first to forgive and first to show mercy. And when you mess up, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to do what Jesus did for me. And that was love me in the middle of it. I mean, in the midst of a world that's so broken right now, I'm telling you, the world could still be beautiful. And if you're crammed in your house with your family and you're driving each other nuts, you could display that kind of love right now. Do it for your neighbor. Do it for the people around you. That's why I love what John says as he writes why he wrote and documented this whole thing. You know, John's a simple fisherman who left a fishing business to follow Jesus. And he wasn't the most educated. He wasn't the smartest. But after following Jesus for three years and seeing all these things and hearing all these things, John just simply says this. See, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That was my conclusion. He's the Son of God. And by believing, you might have a life too. Hey, John, tell me what the outcome of following Jesus was. I had life. When I was around Jesus, it was just like there was life and I was alive. This is what I believe about Jesus, John would say, that God so loved the world, he gave his Son that no one would be lost that you wouldn't be lost and I wouldn't be lost and we'd be people that are found. But for some of us, to come to that conclusion, we've got to blow up our God box and know that he is bigger and more beautiful than we ever thought he was. We cannot afford to not look around and find God in every nook and cranny that we can because that is where he is. That's how much he loves you and that's how much he loves me and we have a chance to display that kind of love to the rest of our world. So let's do this. Let's love well. Let's see God as something bigger than we can understand. And someday, someday, when we sit in his presence for eternity, maybe we'll see more than we ever thought we could.